I'm speaking Canadian, so hopefully you'll be able to stay with me. I don't know what it is you all speak here. Uh, you know, we, we, speak, we speak the Queen's English, uh, the real Canadian. Thank you, Tom. Yeah, that'll hold me up if I get weak. Well, maybe not. Maybe not. But it is terrific, and, and Tom, I do appreciate uh, our, our friendship. I must say that you are fortunate here uh, to be able to uh, be led by the team that's here, and, and Tom in particular as a speaker and teacher of the Word. I, I've heard him teach. I know how faithful he is in bringing that. And he's one of the happiest guys I know, don't you? Have you, have you noticed that? He's just, yeah, just, you know. I, 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 and, and even before we, we began to, to talk about, you know, doing uh, some work together in, in ministry, uh, whenever I'd run into him at uh, church events and that, he always had an encouraging word for me. So that, that matters a great deal, and I appreciate the invitation. Uh, I get invited to speak at a lot of places once, <laughs> and we'll see what happens uh, after today. By the way, I know that a lot of you have tried hard to be... Uh, uh, contextualize uh, and, and embrace Canadian culture today. Several of you have, have already used the word A. Uh, yeah, yeah. Some of you don't know where exactly to put that, but it's a little bit like the American word ha, huh, except it's, it's E-H, very versatile word. So before we go any further, let me just school you a little bit on uh, the beauty of this word, the versatility of it, its usefulness. For example, uh, it can be used as, as a greeting. Good day, eh? And that's completely acceptable. If you want to greet me that way, uh, I'll reply to it. I'll probably say, good day, eh? Back to you. Uh, it can be a question. What's the weather like today, eh? And sure, it works that way too. And of course, there's uh, any, anybody remember Happy Days? That classic television show. There was a character called Arthur Fonzarelli the Fonz, and he used it in my favorite way. It's like uh, guys on prom night when your date comes down the staircase all prettied up, or, you know, like when my wife came down the aisle on our wedding day. It's like, A, you know, it's a, it's a whole new level of A. So why don't you encourage me by saying, Amen. And we'll get underway today with our message. Uh, yes, I'm from Canada, and I direct a, a church planting ministry in Canada, and I'm also uh, serving at the church that my wife and I planted about a dozen years ago. Canada's a different place than, than the United States, maybe in, in more ways than, than you might realize. I know that there's a sort of a stereotype picture of Canada, you know, Canadian bacon, maple syrup, uh, snow, Eskimos, igloos, snow. Every time I turn on your television and watch the weather, you're blaming Canada. Yeah, a cold front from Canada is coming in. Uh, I refuse to take responsibility for all of that, but it's good to be known, at least. One comedian referred to Canada as America's attic. I wasn't sure what to make of that, but, the, but then he, he qualified it by saying, yeah, it's like, you know, you don't go up there very often. But when you do, there's a lot of cool stuff. And uh, I don't know when's the last time you've been, say, to a place like Toronto, but it's a very unique city. Here's some things you need to know about uh, the city where I live. Uh, the United Nations has 
describe Toronto as the most ethnically diverse city on the planet. It is. A lot of people don't think of Canada that way. They think of the, the great white north, but the whole world has come to Toronto and uh, our major cities and has been for decades and decades and decades. In the neighborhood where we planted the church that I still serve a dozen years ago, Muslims and Hindus, uh, pretty much any religion other than Christianity, outnumbers uh, evangelical Christians or Christians of all stripes and, and tribes. So, so people who look like me, uh, think and believe like me, are definitely a minority where I live. Uh, there are 56, I believe, 56% of the population was born outside of Canada and speaks a language other than English as their mother tongue. So incredibly diverse and incredibly diverse from a faith perspective, which of course leads to some tremendous challenges in communicating, but some awesome opportunities, some incredible opportunities. I mean, the whole world is there. You can partner with us in Canada. We think about mission trips and other things like that. We're, a, uh, we're, we're not even a two-hour plane ride away. Uh, I drove down here from Toronto uh, in 10 hours. I can do it in eight if my wife isn't in the car. Uh, <laughs> and, and probably still stay within the law for the most of the part of that. But uh, we're close. Uh, we speak a similar language. Uh, we enjoy uh, similar levels of economic prosperity. And so that's one of the things that, that is always a challenge though, when I wanna convey to American congregations and American audiences uh, how to think about Canada, because it doesn't usually rise to the top uh, in mission discussions. It sort of gets overlooked. Uh, any country music fans in the house? Oh, come on, don't be ashamed. All right, raise them high, raise them plow. Yeah, okay. Jason Aldean, new country guy, right? Did a song called Flyover States. They mentioned Indiana in it. Who would want to just fly over Indiana? I'd rather drive through and stay a day or two. I think it's a great state. But the idea is this, there's a couple of New York executives sitting in first class on their airplane and you know, they're, 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 they're just too cool, right? They're flirting with the flight attendants and they're looking out the windows and seeing all these farms and countryside and, and thinking, man, who in the world would, would, would ever want to live there? There's nothing happening there. That's, you know, we're, we're going to places that matter, places that, that, that have it going on. And I want to tell you that Canada has for too long been sort of a flyover state, if you will, in the way we think about missions. Uh, and I think part of that is because we, 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 we look similar, speak similar, enjoy a certain level of economic prosperity. Uh, I want to tell you that although we're a first world country economically, uh, we are a third world country spiritually speaking. And there are many places in the world that you would fly over Canada to get to, to do real missions that are more churched or have more Christian ministries per square mile or per capita than Canada does. To think of Canada, think more, rather than Midwest or even the USA, think more of the Western Europe mindset where we're probably 10, 20 years further, in general, further down the postmodern, post-Christian road 
than you guys are. You know all the culture wars that are, that are you know, uh, creating so much noise here in your country, be it uh, gay marriage or some of the other things, that those battles, are, those battles were fought and lost ages ago uh, in Canada. It's a very, very different place, and we need churches, and we need workers, and we need partners. Part of the reason my heart beats loudly for global outreach and for church planting in particular is I am the product of the efforts of a couple of faithful American missionaries who uh, came to Toronto in the 1950s, not the place really to go to, again, even then as, uh, as, as a, a setting that evokes a sense of need. You know, it's not exotic in, in, in the sense of international travel, but they obeyed a call to come to Toronto. Uh, it was their goal to uh, begin a church planting movement. That was ideally what they, they were wanting to do. And I know that by the time uh, a decade or so later that, that most of that group returned to the States, they were feeling pretty defeated because, you know, sometimes the dreams that we have aren't what we get to see, at least in our timing. And they got one church planted in 1957. And oh, about uh, seven or eight years later in the mid-60s, uh, this church reached out in the community and, and won my aunt, my mom's sister, who was a teenager, won her to the Lord. And she became a Christian. She became very excited uh, about God. And so she wanted to take her nephews to church. And she would come and pick my brother and I. My brother was a few years older than me. I was a toddler. And she'd come and pick us up and take us to Sunday school there. I don't remember too much about that except uh, you had to wear itchy clothes. Remember, itchy, itchy clothes, tight collars. Uh, I subscribe to the Gilda Radner School of Fashion. Uh, I wear what doesn't itch. That's generally how it works for me. But uh, she took us there. My parents were godless as pagan as they come, no use for church. Uh, my father had problems with alcohol and a lot of other issues. And so they never darkened the doorway of a church in all that period of time. But one particular Sunday, my, my aunt was unable to drop my brother and I back home and my father had to come and get us. And uh, he'd had a late night, wasn't feeling especially well. It was January, the parking lot froze over, it was icy, and when coming to the parking lot, uh, he hit a slippery patch and drove his car into a telephone pole. Uh, he wasn't injured, nobody was hurt, but the car was actually totaled. It could not be uh, driven away from the site. So the man who was preaching there at that time, a man from Georgia by the name of Les Shell, uh, invited my dad to come to the manse, into the parsonage, to warm up over a cup of coffee and call a tow truck from there. My father did, and to make a long story short, that afternoon... Les Shell led my dad to Christ. And yes, I mean, wow. And you know, in, in, in Acts 22, where it says, you know, uh, why tarriest thou? That was my dad. Let's get it done. And they went straight over to the church, and he was baptized that very afternoon. Uh, my mother followed him in baptism the next Sunday. And the eternal trajectory, I mean, our life changed so much for the better. So many different rotten cycles were broken of addiction and other things in our family because of that. And of course, our eternal trajectory forever changed. Yes, amen. And that's because of some faithful American missionaries who didn't fly over, they came. 
They saw the need. And that church, you know, probably on its biggest day, never, never had more than 100 people at it. But now, that church planting dream that they had, that seed has taken root. And we're planting churches. My wife and I started a congregation in Toronto 12 years ago with about a dozen people in our living room in this very postmodern secular society. And uh, we frequently have a thousand people on a Sunday today. And over 700 baptisms since that church was planted. The other great thing that God has done is uh, enabled us to be involved in planting some other churches. And just a few weeks ago in Halifax, Nova Scotia, we launched our 11th uh, daughter church, our 11th church plant, uh, at a time, in a place, in a country, where there had been no independent Christian churches planted since 1957, the one that reached my parents. But a lot of churches have closed. So it's great to be on your radar and sharing with you this morning. Uh, Americans and Canadians partnering together is not a new thing. Uh, we've, in, in great global causes, we have stood side by side, shoulder to shoulder on many occasions. The First War, the Second Great War, Korea, even now in the battle against ISIS, uh, Canada is stepping up and doing its part to, to support that intervention there. And I know in a couple of days here, we'll celebrate, in Canada, we call it Remembrance Day. Uh, in the USA, you refer to it as Veterans Day, but it's time to pause and reflect on the sacrifice of those who have uh, fought in wars to defend freedom. And uh, there's a poem that we say in Canada, I've heard it all my life, and I know it's familiar to some of you here, called uh, Flanders Fields. It was actually written by a Canadian, a Canadian by the name of Lieutenant John McRae. You say, Jim, there's no F in lieutenant. How do you get lieutenant? Well, all I know is it's the Canadian way, it's the British way, it's God's way. <laughs> um, so, uh, Lieutenant John McRae uh, wrote this poem, and I'd like to recite it for you. It goes, in Flanders fields where poppies blow, between the crosses row on row that mark our place. And in the skies, the lark, still bravely singing, flies, scarce heard amidst the guns below. We are the dead. Short days ago, we lived, felt dawn, saw sunsets glow, loved and were loved. And now we rest in Flanders fields. But here's where it starts to really just move me. It says, take up our quarrel with the foe. To you, with trembling hands, we throw the torch. Be yours to lift it high. If ye break faith with we who die, we shall not sleep, though poppies grow in Flanders' field. You know, that's what a weekend like this is about. Passing it on, passing the torch, encouraging one another. And here we are again, Americans and Canadians partnering together in the ultimate cause, because this stuff matters. What we're going to talk about today matters a great deal. I'm going to share a text from Mark chapter 8. Uh, Jesus is speaking here, and, and he says this, uh, Mark 8 verse 34, then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples, crowd and disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life 
will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul, or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Exchange. Think about that word for just a moment. You know that uh, another well-known Canadian by the name of Howie Mandel led a game show that became very popular in the United States called Deal or No Deal. And remember the premise of that? Uh, there were these briefcases and they were filled with cash. And the idea was by process of elimination, memorization, skill testing questions, other things like that, you know, phone a friend. Um, you, no, that's another game. <laughs> but anyway, you, you would, the idea was exchange a bad briefcase for one that had more money. And sometimes people would get a little too carried away and blow it at the end. They'd end up with an empty case. Well, this, this is an exchange. Jesus says, what will you give in exchange for your soul? Do you know that uh, the average Canadian, I'm going to assume the, the, the number is similar here in the USA, the average Canadian, if you live a typical lifespan, you get 25,550 days. Does that sound like a lot to you? It used to sound like a lot to me, but as I get older, man, those the pages of the calendar are just flipping like crazy, and I know I've probably got fewer of those days behind me than I do in the rearview mirror. But realize this, uh, how you spend your days are, is how you spend your life. And every day you exchange that day for something. So think about yesterday. What did you do yesterday? Was that a good exchange? Because what you did is you cashed in a coupon on the coupon, it says, good for one day of living. You could spend it at the golf course. You could spend it with family. You could spend it watching TV or playing video games. But every day, we get to exchange a day of life for something. And Jesus says that smart people think carefully about how they exchange the days of their lives because eternity hangs in those choices. What will man give in exchange for his soul? Can we talk about souls for just a moment? Because I, I, I want to talk about the value of a soul. I believe when we understand souls, when we understand people, when our heart beats for them like God's does, what, 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 what John 3, 16, for God so loved what? The world, loved the world. Souls matter in an extraordinary way uh, to God. And this can propel the missionary vision. You said, well, you know, I thought that the Great Commission uh, is, is what missions is all about, you know, go therefore and preach the gospel, and yeah, it, it is. That, that's sort of our marching orders, but back of it all is the value of a soul. Every soul is precious. You matter to God. Your soul matters to God. The students at the university here, they matter to God. Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, people who look differently, think differently, believe differently, matter to God enormously. So much that his son laid down his life for souls. So if you're a note taker, that's where we're going to begin. Let's just look at the priceless treasure of a human soul. You know, there's many things we can exchange the days of our lives pursuing. Wealth, status, power, prestige. But you can take all of the success, all of the rubies, gold, diamonds, all of the wealth of all of the world, and you cannot begin to value one million worlds like this combined are not worth as much as a soul in the eyes of the Lord. 
Now, when we talk about value, what, what assigns something value? Well, let's break this down a little bit. When we talk about the soul, why is it so valuable? Well, first think about its creator, right? I mean, if Picasso does a painting, if Michelangelo makes a sculpture, you know, if it's an original, one of kind by, by a master, that gives it great value. Well, who created you? The, the Bible says that in the beginning, God, you know, God made men and women and he breathed into them life and they became a human soul. Do you realize <coughs> that you and I are the only things the Bible talks about that way? Uh, that we are made in the very image of God. We hear that a lot. I wonder if we really even understand what it means to be image bearers. We are made in the image of God. Uh, that, that's where all of us should just say, wow, because it's so incredible a thought. The, in Ephesians 2, it says, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. We're God's masterpiece. We're, we're the outcome of his finest work. And so that creator instills in us value because of our creator. Not only creativity, but potential. You've seen it here probably dozens and dozens of times over. That person who nobody could reach, that person with that besetting sin, that person with that addiction, that, folk, that guy or gal who was, was never going to amount to anything, comes to Christ and suddenly there's a new man, there's a new woman, and that potential is unleashed for the gospel, and, and people go from, 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 from being far from God to suddenly being used effectively. You've seen that again and again. There's potential that is maximized when God transforms a human heart, and no other power is capable of that. There's great potential. When you think about a soul, that adds value to it. Let me give you a third thing that will cause you to see the tremendous treasure of a soul and that is its durability. This one's really big, folks. It's durability. How long will your soul last? What does the Bible teach us about that? Do you know that, uh, take your age today, got the number, multiply it by 10 million. Whatever that number is, you're just at the pregame show in eternity. I mean, you're just getting started. It's a fascinating thing. And the Bible teaches that each of us will spend eternity somewhere. Because we're made in the image of God, our, our, our soul, the, the sun, the moon, and the stars will grow cold before our souls perish. We are eternal beings. And God says that gives us great value. I can't even imagine what, what that must be like. In Daniel, it says this, chapter 12, verse 2 and 3. They that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Endless, dateless, timeless, measureless, on and on for all eternity. Your soul will be in existence. You know who Mel Blanc is? familiar with uh, Looney Tunes and all the Saturday morning cartoons. He's the guy who, who, who came up with uh, that's all folks, right? Is that Porky Pig, I think? And uh, when Mel Blanc died, uh, what did they put on his tombstone? That's all folks, yeah. But we know differently, don't we? 
We know that's not the end of the story. Eternity matters. Eternity. Lives hang in the balance for all eternity. And then there's desirability. Desirability. Think about what something is worth. If you have an automobile, what's it worth if you want to sell it? It's only worth what somebody's willing to pay for it. True? You might say, you know, I've listed my property for sale or my house, and I've done renovations and repairs and uh, all kinds of things. We put in a swimming pool. That must be you know, increase its value. Well, it might or it might not, because what it depends upon is what somebody else is willing to pay for that. Now, think about your soul. Is your soul valuable? Jesus thinks so. He paid for your soul with his precious blood. Peter tells us you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb, without blemish and without spot. Uh, You want to know what your soul is worth? Put your ear down to the beating heart of God. And with every heartbeat, it says, I love you. I love you. Look at the blood-soaked ground at the foot of the cross. You say, well, what was Jesus doing anyway? What's What's with the crucifixion? You know what Jesus was doing on the cross? He was purchasing your soul, yours and mine. No greater sacrifice, no greater value. Folks, I want to encourage you in your uh, efforts to reach people for Christ here in Bloomington and around the world because souls matter enormously to God. Um, Let me ask you, what, what do you think a Canadian soul is worth? You know, even with the exchange rate being what it is, Uh, A Canadian soul, every soul matters so much to God. And if we understand the value of that, then that moves us to the next thing. If you're a note taker, the incomparable power of the gospel. There's just nothing compares to the impact of our powerful gospel. You just had midterm elections here. I I know that some of the people I've been speaking to have been rejoicing uh, about the outcome there. I'll simply say this, wherever you land politically, Governments don't have the solution, do they? There's nobody you can put in the Capitol who's, who's going to in, inevitably usher in the kingdom of God that's going to bring what the gospel can bring. Only the gospel has the power to change a human heart. When I was a kid, we'd go out uh, trick-or-treating. It'd be Halloween, and they'd give us these orange UNICEF boxes. I don't know if that, you did that tradition here at all, but the idea was, you know, be, I mean, it was real important to load that thing up, almost as important as getting candy. And you'd knock on the door, and people would put a quarter or a dime or whatever, and that would go uh, to a developing country to, to assist there. And I honestly believed, I think my teachers did too, because this is what they talked about. I was taught growing up that if we simply educate, vaccinate, inoculate, and feed enough people, we we will usher in a brave new world. But decades have passed. 9-11 has come and gone. All of man's best efforts have been tried thus far and found wanting, right? Right? Because only the gospel, the church has been entrusted with a message that, that, that leads to hope and eternal life for all. You know, Becky Pippert tells the story of auditing a course at Harvard on psychodynamic psychology. And the professor was trying to help students understand how things in their past influenced and impact their life today. And he told the story of one man in particular whose whole life was messed up 
because he had bitterness and resentment for some bad choices his mother had made. And Pippert said, well, great. Uh, you've helped him see why his life is distorted. Now, how do you help him offer forgiveness? And the professor replied, well, who's to say? Pippert countered, really? You know, you're the counselor here. How do you help him forgive his mother? And he looked at her and he said this, if you're looking for a changed heart, you're looking in the wrong direction. You see, our culture seems to lack answers for the soulish issues of today, the big stuff. Well, hey, if souls matter to God that much, and our only hope is a life-changing, eternity-altering gospel, then let me leave you with this thought. The absolute necessity of a missionary you. You know, it was nice to have that dinner last night with the other missionaries, and it's always fun to be encouraged and, and acknowledged uh, for, for the efforts, but we're all, we all have the same job description, right? We go out of step, out of the baptistry and into the ministry. We all have that mission, be it your neighbor, a family member, a student, a co-worker, or crossing an ocean. We have a mission that matters. And you know what? It's the best deal you can make. You talk about cashing in your coupon. Well, when Tom or somebody else gets up here on a Sunday and calls forth your best effort, your best work, Will you volunteer, sign up, serve? Will you give generously? Will you sacrifice? Don't get prickly and uncomfortable about requests like that. Uh-uh-uh. You will never regret any exchange like that, something temporary for something eternal. And you know what? We all want a mission that matters. Truth is, it is easy to come to church and, and sit and soak. And it's great to worship. It honors God. And it's wonderful to hear good teaching. And it's great to be together with fellow believers. But that's just a small part of the whole deal. We're called to mission. We're called to action. Don't you want to be a part of something that matters? Where the stakes are real? There's a lot of talk about, you know, why are millennials leaving church? Why are people are leaving church? I don't think because the Holy Spirit's lost his stuff or that the church is no longer relevant, but we've got to give a mission that matters. You know, raise the stakes and, and propel, impel, compel, equip people to serve in the mission field. That's where the church becomes real. You know, in the late 60s, the Peace Corps did a series of television commercials. They wanted to recruit people to join the police corps, and so they tried to, uh, they tried to promote the exotic nature of it. Go and see the world, travel overseas, experience culture. Hardly anybody signed up. So they changed their tactics. They got a new spokesperson. Some of you will remember uh, Bob Hope. You guys, anybody remember the comedian Bob Hope? What a funny guy, a guy with a ski jump for a nose. And he got on there and he just did this short commercial where he'd say, you wanna get spit at? You wanna make a dollar 80 a day? You wanna sleep in the mud? You want to die of malaria? You want to hear somebody say, Yankee, go home? Then join the, the Peace Corps. And when that ran, over 30,000 people a month signed up. Because they didn't just want an exotic vacation. They wanted to change the world. Now, back to the great exchange. Jesus said, what will a man give in exchange for his or her soul? If I may, let me just take a small liberty with that text. 
is I don't think it's too far an extrapolation to say this. What will you and I give? Having tasted the goodness of God, having understood how much people matter, having settled the issue about our eternity, how much will you exchange for another person's soul? Will you be troubled for the sake of another? Will you risk greatly? Will you sacrifice greatly in order to turn another soul toward Christ and help them make that great exchange? I love the fact that global outreach is part of your heartbeat here. But let's, let's internalize it. The person sitting in your seat, what is that person willing to give in exchange for a human soul? He who paid with his life. You know, the early Christians were risk-taking pioneers against great odds and at great personal risk of loss, injury, or death. And in some parts of the world, this continues. They proclaimed this powerful gospel. One of the pioneering explorers that uh, has always interested me is a man named John Cabot, Giovanni Cabato. He's credited with being the first European to, to come to Canada, sailing across the Atlantic uh, to the Nova Scotia area of our country in a boat called the Matthew. Not long ago, they did an anniversary uh, year of celebrations commemorating his discovery of Canada's Atlantic coast. And they brought into various ports a replica ship of the Matthew. It's only 42 feet long. I, I, I don't know what this platform is, but uh, it's probably at least 40 feet long. And these guys, they stuffed in this ship and they sailed the wild, raging Atlantic, risking life and, and, and limb for what? King and country? Gold? Treasure? Listen, Christian, we are pioneers. We're risk takers. One of my favorite American poets, I started with a poem, I'll finish with one. Because you can tell just by looking at me, I'm a poetry guy, right? Okay. One of your own American poets, a, a woman named Mary Oliver, wrote this. It's called Magellan. You know, we talk about Christopher Columbus. Ferdinand Magellan was the most prolific explorer in history. And uh, she wrote this. It goes like, uh, like Magellan, let us find our islands to die on, far from home, from anywhere familiar. Let us, listen, let us risk the wildest places lest we go down in comfort and despair. For years we have labored over common roads, dreaming of ships that sail in the night. Let us be heroes, or if that's not in us, let us find men to follow honor bright. For what is life but reaching for an answer? What is death but a refusal to grow? Magellan had a dream he had to follow. The sea was big, his ships were awkward, slow. And when the fever would not set him free, to his thin crew, sail on, sail on, he cried. And so they did. They carried the frail dream forward. And thus, Magellan lives, although he died. Want to make a difference? Want a lasting legacy? Carried the frail dream forward. And thus, Magellan lives, although he died. Take up our quarrel with the foe. To you with trembling hands, we throw the torch 
be yours to lift it high if you break faith. With we who die, we shall not sleep, though poppies grow in Flanders fields. Keep it going, team. I'm so proud to be a part of your extended family now. Let's keep it going. Let's take the torch and press this thing forward for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the name. Father in heaven, we thank you for Christ. That our desirability was such that, that you were willing to pay the ultimate price, the giving and sending of your son, that Jesus looked upon humanity, was moved with compassion and spilled his blood by choice to rescue us. We thank you for that, Lord. And now, let us pick up our assignment. Let us pick up our assignment. Step into the fray. Take the battle to the enemy. Souls matter. Use us, Lord. Bless this church and continue to use it. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen.